So that's actually kind of the question is, you know, how dangerous is that data? There was some issues around whether TikTok was controlling what kind of data was being issued around like the Hong Kong protests, around some of the COVID protests. And just on its face, that's not a great thing for China to have access to. But the imminent national security concerns about what this data could actually be used for, we're not actually sure. There's actually a lot of questions around that. And that's some of the concerns that people against this ban have sort of said is, what actual sort of issues are there? I mean, what sort of imminent national security concerns, which is something that has to be proven in order to have a ban, what of that is actually happening? Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Will it or won't it? That is the question on everyone's mind about the future and fate of TikTok in the United States. With questions looming around privacy concerns, battled and combated by that of free speech and accessibility to a free and fair marketplace of social media apps, right in the center of it all is TikTok, a fan favorite app of many that are young. And it just so happens to be one of the hottest topics on the hill when it comes to whether or not TikTok is closely related to privacy concerns with China due to its parent company, ByteDance. The concerns started back in 2020 during the Trump administration, and today we are joined by a journalist who covered that time closely. Paige Leskin is a journalist who writes about how people communicate online, the culture of internet use today, and the businesses behind social platforms. She has written for publications like Business Insider, USA Today, Inverse.com, and PIX11 News. Paige is a longtime resident of Brooklyn, New York, and is joining us today to talk all things TikTok and whether or not it'll be banned, what the implications of a ban would look like on not just TikTok itself and social media, but the future of all technology and a global economy of data sharing, data privacy, and ultimately how we connect with one another and our communities. There's a lot to unpack, so as I like to say, let's get into it. I feel like it's almost too early to see the impact of AI on content mm-hmm. writing, and I have my own opinions on what its role is going to be and whatnot, but... Oh, we can get into that whole other thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's an entirely different episode. Stay on track, Paige. Stay on track, Hillary. Let's let's talk about the task at hand, which was what we're going to be talking about today, which is the TikTok. Will it or will it not be banned in the United States? We need to roll back the tapes to 2020 Trump administration. The discussion around is TikTok going to be banned? Is it not going to be banned? Tell us about that time and really your workload during that moment in history. So March 2020 is when everyone in the U.S. is sent home from their jobs. You know, I haven't been into an office since then. Right around then, TikTok hits 2 billion downloads globally. So it's already on the up and up, but it really hits its peak. It's the most popular it's ever been. It's everyone's using it. Everyone is creating content at home online. And the Trump administration is there seeing how popular it is. And I think that there was a lot of rhetoric around that time 
um, specifically around Trump and that he's spewing that, you know, the U.S. is better than everyone. China is the source of, you know, of, of why this is happening. And TikTok was an easy, very public thing to point his finger at. And so I think that in a way he sort of equivocated China and TikTok. And there was in June of that year, there was this rally that Trump had in Oklahoma. And a lot of people online were saying that they registered for this rally and kind of threw a wrench in the plans and registered and didn't show up. And it created a bad rally and no one was there. And so people online were kind of shaping Trump versus TikTok. A lot of teen activists were kind of on TikTok a lot, rallying against Trump, doing what they could to kind of disrupt his campaign, disrupt his legacy in a way. And so I think that there was a lot of framing of Trump versus TikTok. I think that that's a really interesting point, too. I haven't thought about the fact that TikTok did get wrapped up in China and all of the pointing of the fingers and really in that time where no one knew what was going on. Everyone was just like, oh, this is going to be two weeks. And then all of a sudden, two months later, we're looking at this thing. uh, And it felt so intense at that time. I still remember how I felt. I was like washing off with Clorox wipes all of my groceries that we were coming in. Like we live in Austin, which is a huge outdoor city. And we would walk to Lady Bird Lake, which is like the Colorado River that runs by our uh, condo. And everyone is like having to move in one direction. Like there is a directions on the path so people wouldn't pass each other. And I still remember my uh, husband and I, when we first showed up, we were like, oh, this feels kind of like a little too crowded for us. And so that is so, I think, fundamental to that divisive opinion on we shouldn't be locked up at home and this is all you know, China's fault and people that were like, oh no, like the doctors are saying this and the government is saying this, like we need to follow the guidelines. And so for him to even throw a rally in 2020 had to have been so divisive in and of itself because that was still in the thick of so many people saying, do not get together. It wasn't even, we're trying to figure this out as much as it's like, it's dangerous was the narrative at that point in time. So it's interesting that you bring up the parallel there. Exactly. And the water cooler that would usually be at work at school that everyone had, no one had that public square, that public square became TikTok, became social media. And there was so much information, misinformation, accurate information that was just going around. And everyone was turning, it looked like to TikTok at that point to kind of find any kind of information they could on COVID, on Trump, on sort of anything. So also in that, you know, time frame was wrapping up Trump's administration and we had the election that was going on. That was just like a historical election where, I mean, you think about everything leading up to it. It's just bananas to really think how that really happened. But with that election pending and this being the first time that you weren't able to have the same amount of rallying and and in-person connection that you would in other elections prior, do you think that that also had influence on his decision to bring up a potential TikTok ban? Yeah, I think so. I think that TikTok, I mean, it has popularity across all different age groups now, but I think that there is this huge divide between sort of the way that 
Gen Z views TikTok in the way that maybe Trump and some older people view TikTok. And so it was sort of seen in two different lights, I think. Trump saw it as a figurehead for China and for this talk around American exceptionalism. America is better than everyone else. And TikTok sort of throws a wrench in those plans of America being better than everyone else. And then Gen Z and younger people just saw it as a way to communicate, a way to get out information, as a tool for making sure that everyone had access to information in a way that maybe hasn't been done before that wasn't possible when everyone was out talking in public in before COVID times. Um, so I think that Trump sort of saw TikTok as a way to sort of capitalize on saying America is the best country. America is better than everyone else. And then kind of use TikTok as a way to sort of be like, if, if I can show that America is better than TikTok, then I can win this election. Interesting. What do you think is the, back at that time, what were some of those key factors with the argument for TikTok being banned? I know you've alluded to, you know, the larger, looking back on it, really seeing that correlation between China and, you know, the the narrative that was being pushed for America. What were some of the other concerns or flags that were being brought to the surface as far as why TikTok was even being discussed as not an app that should be in the U.S.? So I think the biggest issue comes with national security. We have a lot of laws in place here to ensure that, you know, the government doesn't have access to data or supposed to not have access to different data. But in China, there's a lot of concern whether what information that the Chinese government has access to. You know, they don't have the same laws, they don't have the same policies in place. It's a very different type of environment there. So the fear is that the Chinese government could have access to American data, to have access to everyday user data. And what they could use that for is, you know, a couple different things. Just having access to private system data on its face. There's the fear that they could use it as sort of a propaganda tool, monitoring what kind of content users are looking at and sort of influencing what kind of content is put in front of users. I mean, and it's not completely off base that there's been some issues where there's been some concern about the kind of content on TikTok, whether it's been censored. Um, Even most recently, there was just some articles that came out about how that there was a database that was kept tracking which users were looking at LGBTQ content on on, uh, TikTok. So, but the biggest question is how much access actually the Chinese government has to that data. And that's a very big difference between what would normally be under a tech company segmentation versus the political interest of an external party that doesn't and shouldn't have access to that user information. I think that there's still a confusion around what it is that the data is actually, like which data is actually going to be collected or like potentially at risk. What are some of those areas within that data collection, if you have any that you know of, that might be a little bit more concerning when you think about it from the context of, it's not that the tech company is going to have this, it's that a potential conflict country might have access to this? So that's actually kind of the question is, you know, how dangerous is that data? There was some issues around whether TikTok was controlling what kind of data was being issued around like the Hong Kong protests, around some of the COVID protests. 
And just on its face, that's not a great thing for China to have access to. But the actual national, the imminent national security concerns about what this data could actually be used for, we're not actually sure. There's actually a lot of questions around that. And that's some of the, the concerns that people against this ban have sort of said is, what actual sort of issues are there? I mean, what sort of imminent national security concerns, which is something that has to be proven in order to have a ban, what of that is actually happening? With the perception now, especially, because we did watch the TikTok CEO in front of Congress fielding the questions around national security and around data. And for me, it felt a lot like what we've seen with other big tech companies that are getting grilled by Congress. It's painful. It's awkward. It feels like your uncle at Thanksgiving asking what you do when you work in digital. And he's like, oh, <laughs> all right. Like how how like, does he actually use? How do you actually use this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, well, I've got I've got the Twitter and you're like, oh, geez. OK, so it, but it, it, it's like that level of uncomfortableness. And I know that I come from as a millennial. I work in this industry. And so to watch it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> but I do think that there is a, almost a shift that has happened since Trump administration 2020 ban into what we're seeing now in 2023. Since you were much more closely involved in that 2020 time um, reporting on it, what are some of those key differences in public perception that you're seeing now versus what you were seeing back then? I think people have taken the time to sort of learn things on their own and not just kind of take the politician word for word sort of answer. I think that at the beginning, a lot was unknown. A lot about TikTok was unknown. A lot about the ties between the Chinese government and TikTok were unknown. And I think a lot more people are sort of seeing this for the second time around. People are seeing these, these this talk against TikTok for the second time around and sort of coming into their own research a little bit, sort of maybe a little bit jaded and seeing, I've seen this before. I know what's going on and nothing happened the first time around. Uh, I think actually in a sense that like on the political level, I think that there's a lot more bipartisan sort of agreement in that something has to be done, you know, without Trump and like, you know, without his sort of volatile sort of rhetoric right there. I think it's a little bit more even keeled there. But I also think that Mm -hmm. Trump sort of tried to frame TikTok as this big, scary Chinese entity. But I think Mm -hmm. Americans are a lot smarter now and understand that it's not just TikTok, it's big tech. It's a lot of, it's Facebook, it's Snapchat. Everyone is doing this. TikTok is not the first company that's been called in front of Congress, that the same thing happened with Mark Zuckerberg, that the same thing happened with Jack Dorsey. Yeah, exactly. But I, I will say, I have to play devil's advocate for a minute on this, because I think that there's something to be said about the fact that TikTok is such a vital part of communication for Gen Z. And Gen Z historically is a little bit more jaded. Like they are the first ones to call bullshit when a company is greenwashing their sustainability efforts. They do have that keen sense of like, this is something that I really need to worry about versus this is something I don't. I do wonder if there is like almost not enough concern with TikTok when it comes to Gen Z, potentially if they are getting a lot of their information from TikTok? And is that possibly skewed information in a way that is more pro-TikTok? And this is me playing devil's advocate because personally, I'm on the side of national security is important, but also TikTok is like 
a great tool. And I think that there's a nice happy middle ground here. Like, I don't think it needs to be banned. I don't think it's like espionage on our phones, but I, you know, I, I do wonder devil's advocate. Is there something there potentially? Social media and the information that's shared on there, it's not siphoned off. You know, TikTok is such a huge, huge player in the game, but it doesn't siphon off all of this stuff. Whatever is on TikTok, the communications on TikTok, that can be replicated anywhere. You know, TikTok is just Mm -hmm. the most popular app right now. You know, it's having its moment right now. It's where people are turning. People are turning for short form video to TikTok. But a TikTok's not going to be the most popular forever. You know, it's not going to be the the end-all be-all of information. You know, it's not Google. It's not going to be the only place that you can turn to for information. And I think that Gen Z knows that. So I think that in a way it is a, you know, TikTok is a figurehead. It's just like, a, it's a sample in time of what is going to happen of, and I think, you know, Gen Z knows that. I think that's also, you know, why I'm not too concerned about the ban because it is just one app and the bigger issues that people who are trying to ban the app are trying to look at stretch beyond TikTok. And even if you just ban TikTok, that just takes care of one issue in time. You know, the bigger issue that they're actually trying to target goes way beyond TikTok ever could. Let's talk about that. What is the bigger implication if a TikTok ban were to go through what would that implication be on big tech? What would it be on communications? What would it be on social, economic, macro levels? I mean, it, I think it has a lot of different little legs in a lot of different le- areas. I don't know if I said that right, but that's what I'm going to go with. Legs in different areas <laughs> is where I all the legs, all the areas. But it does feel like there's going to be, if it were to happen, implications elsewhere. Tell us about what that would look like. So there's not a lot of precedent. You know, there's really not a lot of precedent for a social media app being banned in the U.S. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. So it kind of depends that the way that they would go around um, banning the app. It looks like the biggest legislation that's gotten legs would kind of target uh, the app on a network level. So it would prevent new downloads of the app. So anyone that already has the app on their phone has already downloaded would be able to keep it on their phone. It would just ban it from the Google app stores. And so that would prevent also uh, existing users from updating the app. There's also other ways that the government could also block it at the more network level so that anyone uh, using any sort of internet service provider to access TikTok would not be able to use it. You know, that would just be wholly unprecedented. The only place we've really seen that happen is in China with its big internet, the, the Great Wall of Censorship, as they call it. And that's a huge issue. And that brings in all those censorship issues. It brings in issues of access to information, access to software, a lot of which is covered by the First Amendment, which is such a key, key, key part of what Americans hold so near and dear is this access. And so because of that, because that's such a massive issue, there's a lot of talk that if this ban were actually be able to put in place, it would be challenged in court for years. And that wouldn't just be by TikTok's parent company. It wouldn't just be by China. It would be by First Amendment experts. We also get into this point of context of whether or not this is a, you know, in, in journalism and the press and, you know, the First Amendment rights to be able to free speech, TikTok and other tech companies, they tow that line 
because of their distribution and because of their accessibility on is it modern day journalism or is it a private tech company? That is the question. That is the big question. And I think that sort of brings one of my biggest concerns is sort of the domino effect is if we start here, if this is the first thing that's targeted, kind of that gets the ball rolling to sort of kick off a lot easier sort of pathways towards sort of other restrictions. It just seems like a very broad reaching arm of restricting speech, of restricting access and information that we've never seen before. And it just seems like just opening a door to a whole slew of First Amendment issues that, as I was saying, we hold so near and dear that I think Americans would have to have so many issues with. That is interesting, too, when you think about how the the perception of these organizations is that they are private companies, which they are. But then again, so are media conglomerates. Like Exactly. And they're private companies, but they're dealing with public information. They're dealing with the spread of public information. TikTok owns the video that you made that's sharing, you know, the most recent information on the election, but they don't own that information itself, which is where the yeah. issue comes in. So if an American company or, you know, an American philosophy amendment, all the good things, whatever you want to like catalog this thought under, if that idea is around, you know, the free distribution of the press, there's also the eyeballs, which are looking at Fox and CNN and saying, you guys are too opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to reporting, how you report, what you report. Like, I I think everyone can unequivocally say that Fox leans very right and CNN leans very left, but they also have fall under that same guise of information. However, they also are skewed in what they do and, you know, how they report Theoretically, same thing can be said for social media channels and TikTok and algorithms that are, you know, hitting different people at different times. Everyone's algorithm is going to look a little bit different. But to say that there is not that like, I don't know, I, I, I does feel like there is an orchestrator to some degree of the content that people are receiving and that is informing their decisions or their behaviors or their thoughts. Like if Gen Z is not worried about TikTok, but then on, you know, watching Fox News, you're like, oh my God, TikTok is the like espionage on your phone. It is turning your brain into a puddle. You know, it's like all of it is skewed and all of it is orchestrated. (laughs) Exactly. It's a huge generational disconnect. I mean, if you were watching the hearings, and then you, the hearings where uh, the TikTok CEO is in front, and then you go onto TikTok and every TikTok video is making fun of what's happening at those hearings and refuting right. every, sort of, every, every sort of fact that was said at the hearings. So you're kind of getting the two different sides. Um, but then you go to Fox News and see what they're posting about the hearing, and it's mm-hmm. like all of these like zingers and like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. like they got it. I'm like, they, they got it. They're like wise beyond their years. I do think that like what you said earlier though, as far as Gen Z does have a little bit deeper of a discernment when it comes to media because they have been raised in it and they have seen, you know, kind of how BS it can be. And I think that after 2020, we are kind of reaching this, like, I would say not like peak performance by any mean, but I do think that as a society, we are getting a little bit better about 
critical thinking and looking at information and, you know, kind of questioning like, okay, but like, how legit is this? However, the same breath, I will say there are plenty of times where I find myself being like, oh yeah, I saw that this happened. And then I'm thinking about like where I saw that that happened. And I have no idea if it actually happened, but I saw it on TikTok and I like just confirmed that I saw this happen. And like that to me is that mind map of like, dang, this does, it does have an impact on how you're going to think and, you know, like what you're going to share. Like that's the, the pinnacle of propaganda from the start even if it is about avocado toast. It's that one video. It's that 15 second video that sticks to you. It's that song that goes popular on TikTok about corn that then becomes part of everywhere, you know? The corn song. I love the corn song. I love the corn song. More especially, there was a song about like fish that kind of went viral that in real life, the singer of the song said, hey, I'm hosting a meetup in New York. And I think about 400 people came and just sang the song with her that they all learned from TikTok. So it's having this, you know, at the beginning of COVID, it was this physical to virtual sort of precedence. And now we're switching back. We're going virtual to physical again. You know, everything's sort of full circle. Oh my gosh, I can't even. We're talking about corn and fish and we're talking about national security here, people. Buckle up. (laughs) My God. So there's a balance, though, between those national security concerns and, and maintaining that free and open internet. What are some solutions beyond a ban that you have seen emerge or that you see a gap for, you know, the 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 truth, if you will, on, on the, the, the two together. So the other big, um, sort of solution that the administration has proposed is, uh, forcing TikTok to sell pretty much its operations in the U S. And so this was also something that happened during the Trump administration. You know, he tried to get it through, um, via executive order. Um, but he was, but the argument has been, okay, TikTok separates out its U.S. entity. Um, It's sold to a U.S. company. U.S. company runs it, fixes all the problems. There's a lot of issues that come up with that. We have seen this before. The U.S. has forced a company to sell off its U.S. operations. This happened with Grindr, uh, which is a popular gay dating app. But the biggest issue stands with just how massive TikTok is. TikTok is, I think, valued at over $40 billion at this point, which makes it one of the most valuable apps in the world. And we have a lot of also limitations here when it comes to tech about monopolies. So the first issue would be who's going to buy TikTok? Microsoft was one of the leading buyers at the time back in 2020. Doesn't look like that could happen now. Facebook isn't going to be able to, Google aren't going to be able to, both of them would be blocked because of antitrust concerns. Another issue has to do with China's role as they would play in a sale. There's a lot of things that they could do to kind of step in. You know, TikTok is so massively popular and has such a big fan base because of its recommendation algorithm, this recommendation algorithm that gets you scrolling for hours on end looking at these 30 second videos. There's a way where If there was a sale that was forced, China could say that they have ownership or ByteDance has ownership over this recommendation algorithm, and they could separate that recommendation algorithm out of TikTok. And so that would take away sort of the bread and butter of what TikTok is and would create just another short form video app. It would be, you know, Instagram Reels. It would be 
anything else and it would kind of take away what it's known for Uh, this is a little bit of a technical question you may not have an answer but if you do it'll be interesting uh so you mentioned google and instagram you know facebook meta wouldn't be able to purchase because of antitrust laws most likely that would really come in the way do you think that if they did not adapt to their youtube shorts and their instagram reels that they may have actually had a shot at being able to have a successful purchase or at least an improved chance no i think that there are so many issues already around both of them i mean google and meta have went in front of congress multiple times around the spread of information throughout the elections, through their control of information about ads. There's so many issues already with how much power that they have over the spread of information that even without their looking to adapt with YouTube shorts without Instagram reels, there still would have been so many issues that probably would have blocked any sort of acquisition actually from happening. I love it. Good perspective. So what do you think the long-term consequences of a TikTok ban would look like? We talked about, you know, more from a a political standpoint and economic standpoint, but what would that look like for content creators and the influencer economy? TikTok has been a huge launching point for a lot of creators, particularly during COVID. You know, at first it was dancers, you know, it was Charlie D'Amelio, it was Jacob Satorius, you know, people who just made these little short viral dance clips. But now TikTok has spurred this huge group of creators of all different walks of life, you know, people providing any sort of digestible news information, providing access to sports stars, you know, access to college athletes, access to just all different walks of life that have not been seen before. But the good thing is that this has started up these careers of all these people who have then spread out from there. You know, TikTok is only one place for people to make money. And creators have said that it's not even that lucrative of a place to make money. You know, they're making more money off of Instagram, off of whatever industries that just having that name brand has sort of spread. So even if TikTok were to disappear, creators aren't disappearing. The influencer economy isn't disappearing. I think the booming industry of influencers that we've seen over years started before TikTok. You know, that TikTok just kind of came and pushed that even further. But influencers are here. We're already so attracted to name brands of influencers already that if TikTok would disappear, they're still going to be there. They're still going to find their popularity. But I do think it would encourage influencers, creators to be even more jaded when it comes towards the staying power of the apps they're on. YouTube has had issues since its start with paying creators. The earliest creators were making cents on the dollar off of their long, long videos that they were making. And so it's always been a thing in the creator economy that you have to diversify, that you have to look at a bunch of different platforms, that you have to put your content everywhere because you never know when something could disappear. That was an issue that I've seen creators have to deal with even before TikTok. Do you think that there's also potentially, uh, this is a little bit of a divert, but not a huge divert. Is there a similarity between content creation and journalism? Because I think that journalists that are, you know, really sold with one publication versus those that work with multiple publications and provide content multiple places. Do you see a similarity there as well as far as kind of the risk and reward? I think there's most definitely a similarity. I mean, I think as journalists, it's important that you make a name bearing for yourself because you're not going to always be attached to a certain publication. 
publications are coming and going all the time. BuzzFeed news disappears, but those journalists still need jobs elsewhere. They still need to have their beat that they're known for. So there's a huge similarity in that. There's a difference between having to speak for your brand versus being the brand yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good good divert. We'll get back on to the last <laughs> question, which is, Paige, if TikTok were to be banned, do you foresee other platforms that would come in and fill that void, or do you think that existing platforms will just absorb its user base? I think you're going to see both the new platforms coming and other platforms trying to take sort of TikTok's user base. I think you've already seen this happening. ByteDance has already has another app called Lemonade that has been sold as sort of a mix of Instagram and Pinterest, I think is what I've seen it described as. And it's already, its popularity has sort of waned a little bit, but people are going to go to whatever new exciting app there is. People love TikTok now. People aren't going to love TikTok forever. There's going to be something that comes along that either does TikTok better or does it a little differently. And people are going to gravitate towards that. As I said before, content can be made anywhere. It's just what platform is making it easiest to access, what platform is doing it best in the moment in time. And so that TikTok playbook, TikTok had the benefit of being the first there, but it's not going to be the only one there. You know, other people are going to come in and figure out ways to do it. ByteDance itself is going to come and find other ways to do it. If TikTok were to disappear tomorrow, ByteDance has other platforms that people are going to turn to because people still are going to recognize how great TikTok is or how great its recommendation algorithm is. TikTok is just a vehicle for people creating content and people are always going to want to create content and absorb and absorb new content. And they'll find that anywhere. Unfortunately, it's not on TikTok. <laughs> Unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> or fortunately. You know, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this too, just because I feel like there are an endless amount of opportunities for supply, but I think we're kind of hitting the top of our demand because there's only so many people in the world. They only have so many hours in the day and they're only going to be consuming content so many times of the day. And so there is this cannibalization almost of getting in there and trying to like take away from Facebook to get people on Instagram and like everyone's just competing for the same amount of time that cannot be changed. And to think about what that's going to be for these platforms, I do see that like just moving and shaking forever as far as how it's broken out. But I, I do think people are going to simplify and that they're just not really going to care to log into a platform as much as one of the others. So I'm shocked that Be Real is still around, but <laughs> things like that, that are just going to, you know, kind of, it's going to shift and shake and, you know, switch around as, as we keep growing. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, under jaded point, I think that people have had this saturation of content and now that we're getting back into real life, you know, it's summertime again, people want to be off their phones a little bit more. People want to get back away from as much content as they can, as they've also, they've always been. Be real, I think is a good kind of indication in time of that because it's one second, you know, you don't want to be posting to your Instagram stories all day. Maybe some people yeah. do, but you don't want to be posting. It's the minimalist approach to social media, honestly, in a way um, that maybe people need now. I love it so much. Okay. I lied. Last question, Paige. Do you think that TikTok will be banned? I won't hold you to it. Um, this moment I, in time. 
I do not think TikTok will be banned. I think that this legislation that's going through the Restrict Act right now has some wheels, but before it actually is enacted into law, there's going to be so many complications, there's going to be so many challenges against it that it it's not going to go through. Even if it were to be enacted, the ways around it, people using VPNs to get around and get on TikTok, Congress isn't going to go after individual citizens. The optics would be so horrible. I just don't see it happening. All right. Well, you heard it here. Well, we're going to go ahead and look into the future and refer back to this if Paige was right in her crystal ball or wrong. But Paige, thank you so much for joining us on the Social Complex Podcast. Where can people find you, read from you, support you, all the good stuff? I am at on Twitter at Paige Leskin, P-A-I-G-E-L-E-S-K-I-N. You can find a lot of my old work on Business Insider, on Inverse, on your site today, and you can just keep following me to see what's to come. Hopefully more social media reporting. More social media reporting, Paige. We need your voice out there. Thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the hell out of this. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.